and welcome in film fans. This is the SDFP, the second May film podcast, coming to you on this Thursday, the 31st of May, last day of May. We've got a, a great show for you today, but we're one man down. I've got Champ next to me, and no no corn, no popcorn correspondent. Yeah, man, Sam said he was feeling a little bit under the weather, wasn't able to make uh, the trip to the theater this week. I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I accept it. Hey, that'll lead us right into our, uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Our featured review, Solo, a Star Wars story. And then we're also going to kick things off with throwback theater. We're talking about film we liked from 1995. That's the year we picked this pod. And then maybe one that disappointed us. Uh, but before we get to all that, Champ, we've got business cards. We've got... Facebook, uh, Twitter, we just hit our 200th like. We did, we did. I actually recruited a couple, uh, we had a meeting over at the old day job, and some reporters were coming in from all the different hubs, and I told them, hey, uh, you could be that 200 like, I might have a business card for you. <laughs> uh, so a couple of them went on there, and they saw that they were actually beat to the punch with a 200 like, so uh, right. we appreciate that, but we'll take the little small milestones as we get there. Yeah. Uh, that's on the Facebook page, uh, but other social media, SoundCloud, um, we're on Twitter at Second Day Film. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. Uh, just go to iTunes, search Second Day Film Podcast, give us a rating or a review, invite your friends to like our Facebook page, tell us what movies you want us to yeah. watch, comment, interact. We just want to talk to you, film fans. That's right. All right, let's, let's uh, jump right into today's pod. Uh, kicking things off, we're doing throwback theater, and we're jumping back to 1995. Um, and this was a pretty big year in film, but look, I mean, what, 23 years ago now, so some of these films are, are pretty dated. We were in elementary school when these films came out, um, but some good films nonetheless. I'm going to kick it right off with, with a film I loved from 1995, and it's Seven. Um, this is not a film, i got to start with this, it's not a film for everybody. It is a grisly, disturbing, unsettling thriller in fact, I've seen this probably three or four times. One time I saw it with my wife, and there was a particular scene uh, partway through the movie that she just had to stop watching because it's just so twisted. Uh, but if you can stomach this film... Was it, it on the fourth or fifth Deadly Sin, or was it somewhere along the It was the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was rough. But if you can stomach this, it is a fantastic, fantastic film. You already alluded to it. Um, what it's about. Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman star as detectives trying to track down a serial killer whose murders are inspired by the seven deadly sins. Uh, director David Fincher does really well to create a, a dark, uh, gloomy atmosphere throughout. Like I said, it's disturbing, but it's also really clever the way in which John Doe, who's our serial killer, played by Kevin Spacey, the way he kills his victims is really clever. Uh, Spacey in this is absolutely brilliant. He's a villain, a bad guy with such depth to him. His murders are trying to make a statement about the evils of society. And of course, this all comes to a head in a stunning final scene as the detectives are in a way pulled directly into John Doe's killing spree, his game, if you will. And ultimately, um, without giving too much away, Brad Pitt's character, Mills, he has the chance to prevent the seventh murder from happening. And, and in turn would stop John Doe from carrying out what he set out to do. I won't tell you what happens, but that's a really a great commentary on you know how people are and whether they're able to change for good or not. Um, and, and one thing I thought about, we talked about Saw 
the horror series, one of my favorite horror series, I wouldn't be surprised if the creators of Saw were inspired by Seven. Not only are the killings in Seven grisly and horrifying, but the serial killer here, he has got his own twisted way of dealing with morality. He's trying to punish those who he sees has done wrong, who have a grave sin, one of the seven deadly sins. In fact, one of the victims in Seven is even presented a chance to save themselves, but at a great cost. Uh, so yet another parallel to the Saw series. Obviously, Seven came out ten years before, but um, I, I know you've seen this movie. It, it's really dark. It's twisted. It, 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 it maybe turned some people away because of some of the, the killings, um, but... It's, it, I think it's a great thriller, and you know I'm a sucker for mysteries. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a while ago when I saw this one, probably at least five or six years ago. Uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, I remember they're, they're a pretty good team. Morgan Freeman, if I remember correctly, is sort of retiring on his way out the door. They're kind of opposites, and they right. work really well as like a, you know, he's kind of the cool, calm, collected, veteran detective, and, and Brad Pitt's character, he's just a loose cannon trying to do what he thinks is bring justice. Yeah, I remember this, what I remember about this movie, it was just so, like, dark in terms of subject matter, but also dark in the way that Fincher and his team filmed it. I feel like there was constantly rain in the movie, yeah. um, with maybe the exception of the final client climatic scene is where yeah. things sort of brighten up a little bit in terms of what it looks like. That's super symbolic of what's going on in the movie, and obviously what's going on inside a character like Brad Pitt. Yeah. Um, I remember Kevin Spacey being really memorable in his limited screen time. Of course, yeah. this is like peak Kevin Spacey right here. Oh, yeah. He's also in The Usual Suspects uh, right around this time. Um, so, um, you know, he would do American Beauty a few years down the line. 99. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this was Kevin Spacey in his prime. Um, three good actors right there that we're talking about. Definitely Seven is a memorable sort of cop procedural drama. Definitely puts a new spin and really raises the stakes that we hit to a level that I don't know if we'd seen too many times before. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that um, I think this is a good way to describe it. And I think I've seen another uh, film critic kind of put it this way. You might not like what you're seeing, but it's going to affect you. Uh, it, it did affect me, and it achieved in doing that. So what about you, Champ? What did you like from 1995? Uh, well, my uh, favorite movie from 1995 was also the Best Picture winner from 1995, and that's Braveheart, uh, directed by and starring Mel Gibson. Uh, Gibson, like I said, starred and directed in this epic that tells the story of uh, the 13th century Scottish warrior William Wallace, who led the Scots in the First War of Scottish Independence against King Edward I of England, also known as Edward the Longshanks. Uh, Braveheart was nominated for 10 Academy Awards at the 68th Academy Awards and won five Best Picture, like I said. Gibson won Best Director, also Best in Photography, Best Makeup and Best Sound Editing were also the what it won. Um, and man, when I say epic, I mean it. This movie might be one of the best examples, along with things like Ben-Hur, um, you know, as an epic, and Troy, maybe, I would I would put up there. I know a lot of people don't like Troy, but I thought that was a great example of a, a movie with a huge scope that covers a long period of time. It follows William Wallace, played by uh, Mel Gibson, over the course of a long time in this war. It has the classic Mel Gibson trope, which seems like this is the thing with every Mel Gibson movie, where something terrible happens to him, <laughs> and then the rest of the movie, he's just out for revenge, and he looks to the sky and goes, No! And he's going to do something about it. So it is a little tropey and, and generic in that sense how it starts. Yeah. But as the movie plays out and we just see him exact his vengeance on not only 
you know, the local people that have been tormenting him and his friends, but England and just going through it. It feels so raw. Uh, this movie has one of the great monologues in film history uh, prior to the scene that depicts the Battle of Stirling Bridge, which is one of the greatest uh, battles I've seen put on screen to this day. Um, it has this sort of Scottish-infused score with bagpipes and fiddles that are often playing as rebellion spreads through these majestic landscapes in the Scottish Highlands, and it's captured via helicopters and planes, and it's just beautiful. Um, of course, it takes some creative license with the story of William Wallace and, and what actually happened, but I do think it's, it's Gibson at least tries to stay true to what happened in history. Uh, the final scene is, is both heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. Um, I just think this movie is a remarkable achievement, especially for being made in 1995, and it's easily one of my favorite films of all time, so I, I have to put it up there as my favorite from 1995. Oh, well, <laughs> we talk about the seven deadly sins. I've got at least seven deadly film sins, and what I mean by that are films that I've not seen that I need to see. We'll get into that later in the pod. Uh, those at home probably are shaking their heads to hear that I've not seen Braveheart. Um, it's one of those that I just, I've got to see. Um, I feel like at least seven of your deadly sins are some of my favorite movies. I yeah. Mean, I think we need to just like barricade ourselves in the basement one of these weekends and make you watch Satan Private Ryan, Braveheart, whatever the hell else you haven't seen that's a great movie. Well, and, and you're a sucker for these period pieces where you have characters, uh, you know, and they're, they're, it's just, it's a, a film set in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like, you know, for someone who loves those, this is one of your favorites. Definitely. Definitely up there. Gladiator is another one. One sort of of this ilk uh, that is one of my favorite movies. I mean, it has a three-hour runtime, so this really is like a long yeah. movie that captures a lot of different times in William Wallace's life. There's like at least two or three big battles that happen. Um, so it, it is an epic, and it's big in scope, and it starts small and continues to grow and grow and grow, kind of like the Rebellion. Um, there's some slowdown, talking, you know, old English-style scenes, so it's not all action. Um, but I, I just think it's beautifully done and amazing to think that Mel Gibson could direct a movie like this and star in it at the same time. I remember, obviously, being one of my favorite films. I've watched a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about it. I have the, the DVD, so I've watched all the special features. And you can see Mel Gibson. He'll be, like, riding a horse around acting. And then he'll yell cut. He'll jump off the horse, run all the way down to the other side of the wow. line where it's being filmed and say something to someone. Then he'll get back on the horse and start acting again. It, it was to just think that a movie could be made in that scope, and and say what you want about Mel Gibson. Personally, he's one of my favorite actors. But when he directs movies, he's done things like Apocalypto, more recently uh, Hacksaw Ridge, which was well received. He does have a talent uh, for directing. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, he he kind of gets a bad rap because he's got some kind of extreme political uh, views. But let me ask you this before we, we move on. Uh, I noticed, you know, in, with these epics, a lot of the times the, the, the studio is trying to draw as many people as they can and make a lot of money, and I'm sure this did. But I noticed it's rated R. Uh, some of these epics, they specifically try to keep it PG-13. I'm sure that's, that's uh, seen throughout, that it's a little bit more... I don't know, adult-themed? Definitely. I mean, you couldn't make this movie PG-13 if you really wanted to make it true to form. It has to be gory. This is the 13th century we're talking about. There's no guns. There's no... <laughs> it's hand-to-hand -hand brutal combat. That means a lot of slicing, a lot of dicing, a lot of decapitating. There's a rape scene early in the film. I mean, this is a brutal, oh, okay. brutal movie, but again, this is a very brutal time. 
I don't think this movie could have been made PG-13, but yes, not one for the kids. Maybe wait till they're, you know, a little bit older to watch it with them, but it is a historical movie that can teach as well in terms of, you know, uh, history class, but it's probably one of those the teacher would make you, you know, send the waiver home, have the parents yeah. sign it type deal. <laughs> now, if you get to college, uh, you know, you don't have to do that, as we know by our censorship in the cinema class that we took. Yeah, it's, we won't you know, go there. We won't go yeah, there. Those films probably will not be reviewed. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go to something, and this might be considered a shocker among the listeners. Um, a film that I thought was a little bit of a disappointment. You already mentioned it on the pod today. The Usual Suspects. Wow. I know. Um, so let Kevin Spacey's I love over here Kevin too. Spacey. Yeah, I do. Um, this was Kevin, Kevin Spacey won a, an Oscar for a supporting actor in, uh, in The Usual Suspects. But this is, let me explain kind of why I, I, it was disappointing. Um, obviously, this movie came out in 1995. I didn't see it when it came out, I was six years old. So I hadn't seen it until quite some time later. I think I was in college, maybe, or in high school, or somewhere in that early 20s, maybe. Before seeing it, I knew what the twist was. I knew what was coming. And Why? I think... How? I just heard about it. Um, it you know, Spoiler I'm, alert! Well, well, I'm not going to give away what the twist is, but... Um, I think I had, maybe it was right after the Saw, and I said, you know, I, I, I kind of did some reading of like, oh, where does that rank among movie twists? And I found Usual Suspects, and therefore I kind of ruined it for myself. But, it, but it, it begs a bigger question, how much, and this is a critically acclaimed film, how much does, how much do certain films rely on an epic twist? Um, because knowing that, going in, knowing what the twist was, um, without giving anything away... I, I knew that, and I kind of was watching the film and kind of judging it by its other merit. And uh, the, pulling that out of there, the twist out and how the story is put together, it didn't captivate me. It was didn't blow me away. And it was okay. I think I gave it a 7 out of 10, but this is a movie that many people consider an 8, 9, or a 10. And having known what that shocking reveal was and how much it played a role in the, in the film, it took a lot of the wind out of its sails for me. Um, I, obviously, you saw it and you weren't, you didn't spoil it, I mean, for yourself. and Maybe that's my own fault, but it definitely changed how I watched this movie and how much I liked it. Well, I enjoyed the nonlinear structure that was in the movie. I, I mean, I didn't spoil the twist. That was, I did not, I mean, I, I could maybe see it coming, but... Just the fact of how it happens and how it's filmed, um, I, I loved it. This is Brian Singer who directs this movie, by the way. Yeah. We should say I love the cast of characters that is that is in the movie. You know, we have Stephen Baldwin, Gabriel Byrne, Benicio del Toro, Kevin Pollak. Um, you know, a, a good mixed cast that just you know I think they're they're mingling and when they're in the jail cell at the very start of the movie yeah. and they're sort of talking and you're wondering like wait a sec why are these guys together. What's going on here? I guess I just enjoyed the ride, and, and yeah. I do think knowing the end is going to obviously have your effect. Yeah, and I still, like I said, I gave it a 7. I still really enjoyed it, but uh, unfortunately it was that was spoiled for me, and I think without that, um, this film isn't the same, and that's why for me I didn't enjoy it quite as much. And you could probably say that about some other films, too, that rely so heavily on the twist. Yeah. This movie was made for just $6 million, so it was... Uh, very low-budget type production, even for 1995. Um, so, you know, 
uh, I think that singer and I, I like it, and I can see why a lot of people do. Yeah. I'm sure you can as well. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to put I don't put this on here as uh, as something I didn't like. I just put it as a disappointment because the stakes were you know the, what you hear about this film you hear so much, and obviously I heard too much. Yeah, and it impacted how I saw it. So. So I don't really have a movie from 1995 that I necessarily disliked. Um, most of what I've seen from that year, I've, I've given a seven or above. I will just quickly mention Billy Madison. I do think that movie is a little overrated. We talked about Adam Sandler a couple shows back and how Evan's not a fan. And if Sam was here, he'd be freaking out right now. Um, but Billy Madison, I watched it recently, had it out in the background. It was just on TV. It's and terrible. It's, it's pretty dumb, mostly. I do think there are some funny parts, specifically at the end when... They're doing this sort of, uh, the, the education bee, and yeah, he's exactly trying to explain yes. about the dog and the puppy, and the guy's like, nothing you said was even remotely close to the answer. We were all dumber for having listened to it, or something along those lines. He's like, a simple no would have been fine. I did laugh at <laughs> yes. that. And when Steve have... Buscemi shows up and he's like, I'm glad I called that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a couple of funny moments, sure. like all Adam Sandler movies, but I think you are right a little bit about some of these Sandler movies. They're not quite as good, especially Billy Madison. I think it's pretty dumb, mostly. Is a movie good because you can quote it and laugh at the quotes? It's an interesting question. Yeah. I, you know, we talked about it with Sam. He considers that to be a big plus in how a movie stands in his mind. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of funny quotes that you can laugh about with your friends. Yeah. Does that make it a funny or good movie? I would probably disagree a little bit. It definitely bit. makes it memorable. If Sam was here, I'm sure he'd be defending Billy sure. Madison, so I don't want to speak for him. But yeah. And we've already went down the Adam Sandler road, and actually he mentioned Billy Madison as one of his favorite comedies, and it's a lot of people's favorite comedies, so I'm not saying I hate it. I do like it somewhat, but I do think it is a touch overrated. Sure. Just to really quickly, before we move on to Solo here, uh, Best Picture that year, like I mentioned, was Braveheart. Mel Gibson took home Best Director as well for Braveheart. Nicolas Cage won a, an Oscar for uh, Best Actor in Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, Susan Sarandon, Best Actress in Dead Man Walking. Best Supporting Actor, as you mentioned, was Kevin Spacey in The Usual, Usual Suspects. And Best Supporting Actress was Mira Sorvino in Mighty Aphrodite. And before we move on, I do got to say, I, I did love Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspects. I've said he's one of my favorites. Um, you know, my, my comments on that film have nothing to do with how he uh, how he starred in that. All right, so now it is uh, time to move on to our feature review, and we've got another summer blockbuster today. We're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. Heard about a job, big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? us you're in this life for good you might want to buckle up baby so this film directed by is it too much to call him legendary ron howard it's built up a pretty good directing career uh it also stars as han solo alden ehrenreich uh, Chewbacca is played by Junis Suatamo. Woody Harrelson plays Beckett. Amelia Clark plays Kira. Donald Glover is Lando. Tandy Newton is Val. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is L337. Paul Bettany is the villain Dryden Voss. And John Favreau is Rio Durant. Uh, so Champ, will just quickly get to the, uh, the plot for this one. During an adventure into the criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters Lando Calrissian, 
years before joining the rebellion. So, before we actually talk about this, we've got to kind of point out uh, the elephant in the room, and it's yet another one of my film sins, along with Braveheart and uh, Saving Private Ryan. I have not seen all of the Star Wars films. I've seen bits and pieces of some. I've seen a couple of them in their entirety when I was younger, but I've not made the conscientious choice to go through and watch all of them. I'm shaking my head yeah, for America. I know. Or maybe just like our 35... 40 listeners on a regular basis. We love you guys. We love you. But, uh, yes, we're, we're collectively shaking our head, clicking our tongues, wagging our fingers, doing whatever you need to do to shame. I mean, we got, we got Amelia Clark in this. Maybe we should just do shame, shame. Oh, wait, you haven't watched Game of Thrones either. So, oh, you won't get that reference, will you? Huh? So I am much more, uh, I'm, I'm willing to take the hit much more for not seeing Star Wars than Game of Thrones. I'm not, I'm not, you know, too concerned about not having seen that. Considered by many to be one of the greatest television shows yeah, of all time. Know, it's ranked number four on IMDb right now, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay, Evan. We'll forgive you. I, on the contrary to Evan, am a huge Star Wars fan from way back. I used to have tons of merchandise in my room. I had a little collection going. I've seen all the Star Wars movies. I see every single one of them in theaters. Star Wars fan, true and true here. Um, so we're going to kind of have two ends of the spectrum here. Yeah. I've been watching the movie sort of through the lens of someone who, you know, is, is maybe more of a casual observer who's seen bits and pieces, and me who's a um, hardcore fan who's seen a lot of movies. So I guess this will be a good place to then ask you this. So you've given me your Blu-ray set. Um, this movie was good enough that it, it, it made me want to watch the, the rest of them. Um, so that's the question that I have. Uh, I guess first, what order should you watch the Star Wars movies? I'm sure that's hotly debated. And also, where does Solo fit in? Because I understand this is kind of a standalone film. Well, it is a standalone film. It's it's the second uh, since Walt Disney bought Lucasfilm. They announced that they're going to do all these anthology films that are sort of separate from the main, you know, now eight film timeline. Um, so this is the second one. The first one was in 2016, Rogue One, which sort of t told the story between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. This is a solo film. I, I, you know, without giving too much away, I think this takes place somewhere between three and four, almost sort of concurrently with the events of Rogue One. Because it's different characters. Right, somewhere in the same vicinity. Sure. In my opinion, watching the Star Wars movies should just go in chronological, not chronological, but episode order. So. Sure. One, two, three, which are the prequels that were made, you know, in the mid-2000s. Uh, you know, then Solo, then Rogue One, then the original trilogy, then the new films that have been coming out here in the last few years. In my opinion, that's the best way to do it, because that's how the narrative story goes. Sure, and I, I did a little research, did a little reading, and there are like four or five different ways that have been created. I mean, there's obviously release date, then there's... Um, you know, chronological order, and there's a few other wacky ways in which you can watch them, but my intention is to go, yeah, one through three, Rogue One, four through six, and then seven and eight. So that's kind of my plan. We, we should say, though, and I'll, I'll ask you, is, you know, with someone with a limited background, did you think that you could watch this movie without having seen the other movies? Well, like with Marvel, uh, when, when we went to see Avengers... Uh, Infinity War, I kind of like slammed those together and I, I rolled through like 16 Marvel films in a frantic effort to catch up. And I said at the time, um, for that film at least, I was really happy that I had seen the previous films. This, knowing that it's a standalone and it's not like Avengers where you need to have all that background, um, 
No, I thought, you know, look, I thought that uh, for what it was, I was easy to follow. Um, you, we talked about it before the pod. You say there are certain winks that maybe I didn't get, but um, I certainly didn't feel like I was in the loop or left out of the loop or that I wasn't included in something. It, it was easy to follow in terms of the storyline. Yeah, I mean, I think you can see this movie because it is a prequel without having seen all the other Star, Mo Star Wars movies. That being said, I think the majority of people who go and see this will have that background. And obviously, they do a lot of fan service -y stuff in this movie, sort of winking at the audience type stuff, you know, alluding to things that happen in the future right, of what we know about the Han Solo character, who's obviously embedded yeah. in the American psyche through Harrison Ford in the original uh, trilogy and obviously the newest film, uh, or not the newest, but in The Force Awakens. Sure. So, um, you know... It, I think that it helps to see the other movies, obviously, because it enhances the movie, I would say. But if you haven't seen them, don't feel like you have to cram if you want to see Solo. The good thing is, is, is one spot where I did feel like I, I didn't know as much as I should was at the end. There was a lot of foreshadowing. And, or it seemed like maybe there was, maybe there really wasn't, but uh, that made me more interested in watching some of the other films. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing now, you know, now that we sort of laid that down, if we want to get into the movie here, one thing I think this movie does do pretty well is there's a lot of cool setups for the character of Han Solo, and a lot of these things are, you know, people who have seen the movies might get more, but I, I sort of compare a lot of things that are happening in this movie to... Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which is the last in the trilogy of the original Indiana Jones. But it, there's a scene, in the opening scene of that movie is a young Indiana Jones. So we see him get his whip. We see him get his hat. We see why he's afraid of snakes. And maybe it's just I'm making the Harrison Ford connection here. <laughs> but there seems like a lot of Indiana Jonesy things where they're like, this is why Han Solo wears a vest. This is why he's called Han Solo. This is why... Uh, you know, he does this thing that he always does, you know, this is why he is so cocky. You know, I, there's a lot of, I think they really help to put layers on the character by seeing him younger in life, because obviously we know how the Harrison Ford character is, and I was a little bit skeptical, actually, about going into this, like, who are they going to completely butcher the character? Are they going to mess this up? I don't know if they do that. I think they actually do enhance the character quite a bit in this. Yeah, obviously, I don't have the context. I don't know what Han Solo is like with Harrison Ford starring. I can't believe um, that that's a sentence. That's well, what it says. One thing I did know, though, I did know, um, and something I liked about this film, is I know that Han Solo and Chewbacca are great pals. They're co-pilots. And uh, I thought that there was a lot of humor and fun in that relationship in this movie. In this film, you talk about laying the groundwork. We find out how they met. Um, you know, Han Solo and Chewbacca, we find out kind of how they go to, you know, come to become friends uh, in something that's so well documented later and already established later on. Same, the thing, other with him and, same thing with him and Lando. Yeah. There. Um, and what I, what I said, you know, had in my notes is I just, I think Han Solo is just a likable character. And it seems like he wants to be bad and he wants to be an outlaw. And in some ways he is. But at the same time, at his core... He's a good guy who wants to do what's right and is motivated, for the most part, by kind of bottom line doing what's right for the people he cares about. And I think it's, you know, is he good or bad? It's kind of an interesting question posed in the film, and that's something that I, I took note of. Yeah, I mean, this Han Solo is a younger Han Solo. He's a much more, 
especially at the start of the movie, a much more idealistic guy. You know, he wants to be a fighter pilot in the stars with his girl, and he wants to explore the galaxy. And the Han Solo we meet in the original trilogy is a much more beaten down, pissed off, mad at the world kind hmm. of guy. And I, I think that, you know, and that's the main question in the original trilogy, is like, is Han Solo going to come around? Is he going to be a hero? Is he going to come over to the rebellion? That, those are questions that are all asked throughout, but you sort of see how he started in this one. And you also see why he becomes the way he is in the original trilogies. Um, which I mean, it I, comes from nothing. Right, which I liked. I liked seeing these things. You know, sometimes we always, a lot of times we say less is more. You know, do we really need a Han Solo, uh, you know, origin story? Do we need to see everything play out? And that made me nervous, honestly, going in. I didn't know if we wanted all this background. I think they did a decent job, honestly, on this. It's a good, not great origin story, I would say. Much like Rogue One, the other anthology series, it feels a lot more gritty and grounded than the sort of cosmic craziness that goes on in the main storyline. Um, you know, it feels like a real lived-in world. It's, it puts the war back in Star Wars. Obviously, the, the world of this film is sort of the criminal underground, the bunch of people that are sort of looking out for themselves and, and doing things yeah. in their own way. They're not concerned about the greater plight of the galaxy. And that's sort of a different little section that we never really got to see before. But I like that it takes a sort of different tone and feels more gritty. Yeah, and, and you see that not just with Han Solo, but you see with multiple characters, are they good or bad? And, and it kind of bears itself out towards the end of the film. But you're right. You've got these outlaws, these smugglers, these people who are used to living on their own. And there's kind of that theme of, at the end of the day, they're going to do what they need to do to protect themselves. But Han Solo ultimately does what he want, can do to protect the woman he loves, Kira. So, uh, yeah, I just thought that that was really interesting. There's a scene at the end of the film where he does something in particular to another character, and it, it kind of begs the question of good, bad. Yeah, I just thought that that was a really interesting uh, question posed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I like about this movie. For the most part, it was super enjoyable. We'll get into more specifics and spoilers. Um, but one thing that kind of bothered me, I felt at times that the script was a little bit lazy and convoluted. Uh, but specifically what I'm talking about is when there's characters that are sort of going through all the space jargon and they're they're talking about the plan to fix the Falcon or to to get the coaxium or whatever and and they're basically just explaining what's going on and it's it's sort of just like there's a lot in this film where they're literally saying things just so we can kind of understand what they're trying to accomplish um but then we don't really know anyways because it's such crazy jargon and the script is just so like in your face, like, this is what we're doing now. This is what we're going to do now. This is what we're going to do now. Uh, it sort of found, I found it distracting a little bit. Did, did you get any of that? You know, sort of, I, there's certain scenes that I'm thinking about, but. Yeah, I mean, one thing that maybe it's along the same lines is it just seemed like um, there's a lot you're seeing in the Star Wars world. And maybe maybe all the films are like this, but as, a, as an inexperienced fan, um, you've got... Obviously, humans, you've got robots, you've got creatures, you've got a lot of people, you know, meshing together. You've got, you know, humans with accents, some without accents. And I've just kind of wondered, how do these people all fit in? And I wonder if that's explained more or if they just don't really care to do that. It's not really explained because it's, there's a, in all the Star Wars movies, there's all these creatures that yeah. are all together. There's human-looking aliens, there's crazy-looking aliens, and they all sort of live together. 
Because that's the Star Wars universe. It's a massive, massive universe, and all these different beings are on all different planets, and all the movies jump around to different planets and all this stuff. That's sort of a, a, a classic case of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so, they, no, I wouldn't say they really bother, but they are trying to create this atmosphere of, like, there's millions and millions of different kind of yeah. beings throughout the world, and they've all kind of tried to find a way to live together, but sometimes they can't live together in harmony. Yeah, it just seemed like there was a lot going on at times. It's probably and it a lot was to, a little cluttered. Well, it's probably a lot to come into yeah. if you don't have the context. But I agree, there's maybe a little bit too many characters in this movie yeah. that come in and out. A couple that maybe we didn't really need, but they bring in for more specific purposes. I'm thinking of the the robot, the the guy with the multiple arms. I mean, there's there's cer there's certain characters I don't know if we needed. Um, but for the most part, I, I liked it. I, I liked Amelia Clark in this, who yeah. plays Kira. Their relationship um, was was a good part of the story. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the core of the yeah, story. It really it's is. sort of why Han becomes who we know in the later films. Um, in the beginning, she sort of feels awkward because, like I said, she plays Daenerys Targaryen, the mother of dragons, breaker of chains, yada, yada, yada. Uh, in Game of Thrones, she's know, a very yeah, strong-willed female that, yeah. character in that movie. And in the beginning, she's sort of just like this street rat who's following the guy around. Um, I think her character gets stronger as the movie goes on, and she sort of takes a more assertive role, and that sort of allows her to channel her inner Daenerys Targaryen. I thought I was watching her. I thought she was huh. in... You know, young Kai sitting atop the tower talking about, uh, you know, how to break the... Never mind, Evan's confused. He's oh, looking at me all weird. No, I've uh, heard I've uh, heard of certain scenes. <laughs> She's setting buildings on fire and then walking out alive, right? I've heard of all of the... But I, I like her in this, but I do agree there's a certain... To a certain extent, there maybe is a little bit too much going on. Especially for an origin story when you should yeah. just be trying to tell why this is happening. It definitely seemed cluttered, and, and I felt like... Um, I don't know, I just felt like there was a lot that happened and, and maybe a little too much at times. There's also a lot of coincidences, like in the script and, and how characters sort of meet and intermingle. I can't really get into that fully until spoilers. Um, but, you know, the story wavers in and out. It's sort of an unevenly paced at times, I would say. Um, but when we are getting the exciting, built-up, big moments, I think the action scenes really deliver. I do too. Obviously, um, I think what two hundred and fifty million was that the budget? I mean, it was one a, of the most expensive movies. Of yeah, all time. visually, um, it was really impressive. There were a couple of knocks I had. I kind of want to save a little bit for spoilers. A couple of knocks I had on the visuals, so I'll dive into that a little bit later. But uh, all in all, I liked it. Um, it. Like I said, it made me interested to watch the other Star Wars films. What I think is going to be interesting is to see the films in kind of how they work in the different eras in which they were made. Because you just have different special effects. And some of the older ones are considered some of the best. So, uh, yeah, I liked it. It was uh, good, not great, in my opinion. Yeah. You can sort of see some of that continuity, though, like when they're in the Millennium Falcon and they're yeah. looking into the thing. I don't know if you noticed. It's very outdated looking. And that's because they're trying to keep the continuity uh, of some of the older tech that showed up in the A New Hope. Um, but, yeah, uh, we can get to... Uh, I think we're ready to get to, sure. to spoilers yeah. now. So, yeah. Check out now if you uh, haven't seen Solo, a Star Wars story. We're going to get a little bit more in-depth here, talk about specific things within the movie, um, full spoilers, every, everything. Uh, nothing's off limits here. So uh, yeah. check out now. Jump back in at the end. This is the spoiler section. So one thing that uh, you talked about it a little bit, about maintaining that old look. Here's a question I had. So some of the creatures look almost cartoonish and I'm talking like the aliens, rather than using CG to create really cool-looking characters, 
they actually created physical robots for this film and, and puppets. Puppets. And was that intentional? I wondered because it was maybe paying homage to the original. And if so, fine. But I just thought to myself, man, this is a big budget film, and you've got just some. I mean, you've got some some robots that look like they were, you know, what they used to do for aliens and creatures in the 70s and 80s. Well, that goes back to continuity, and they're trying to make sure that this world looks the same as yeah. it does in the original trilogy. And also, in the prequel uh, trilogy, there was a lot of criticism for overuse of CGI. Jar Jar Binks, I'm talking about. Uh, certain characters that were introduced that were full CGI characters that people hated. So there was a lot of criticism for Star Wars looking fake and looking not like a lived-in world in the original prequel trilogy. So I think that, you know, both in The Force Awakens and The, uh, the Last Jedi, Rogue One, and now uh, Solo, I think that the filmmakers are all trying to keep that continuity and capture the spirit of the mm. original trilogy. And if that means having some goofy-looking puppets <laughs> hanging out in the cantina, yeah. drinking some weird thing and swinging at holograms and playing sabacc, then maybe that's what they have to do. Yeah, I guess. I, there were a couple in particular at the poker table um, during a, a couple different parts of the film that I just thought, man, this really sticks out as looking very almost prehistoric for a 2018 film. And it just, I wondered why. It just didn't seem like uh, what you would want to have in a film made now. I think if you saw the other movies, you'd have a little more context. Yeah, maybe that's so true. you would see the difference of what happens when you just rely on CGI instead of using some of those practical effects. Yeah. I didn't notice that they stood out. I thought it, huh. everything looked fine. The one that was a little goofy was in the very beginning, the weird worm lady who pops out of the water. Yeah. She was pretty damn terrifying. <laughs> she was, but yet it was so fake looking. It wasn't convincing. And I don't know, maybe that's not me being spoiled by recently seeing like Avengers Infinity War yeah, and geez. certain films that are heavy on CGI. But but no, that's why I asked, because I figured they were probably paying homage a bit to the origins of the Star Wars films. Evan can't wait to go sit in his air conditioning and pop in his uh, 4K player on his 75-inch TV. <laughs> Do you have enough cushions at home? <laughs> hey, E.T., hey, e. you know, great film, don't knock E.T., right? Um, so I guess one other thing I, I do want to ask... Um, do you think that this dragged a little bit at the end? Did it seem a little bit long? Well, this movie's two hours and 15 minutes, so whenever you get up over the two-hour length, um, you're in danger of being a little bit too long and hanging around too much. Um, it didn't bother me, okay. because there was a lot of action, particularly in the second half. There was, yeah. You know, there, there's the big train heist that they do, and then they, they go meet Dryden, played by Paul Bettany. <laughs> um, and then we hear about Crimson Dawn, this mysterious Crimson Dawn. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, then they go to on the mining excursion to get the coaxium, and then they come back, and they have the battle with... With Dryden, I mean, I guess when it's all this action, and Evan, you've criticized movies in the past for having too much action, when there's so much excitement going on, and I, for the most part, like these characters, yeah. um, you know, it, it didn't bother me, really. I thought it did do a good job in, with an action film, you want it to be fun and exciting, and you want action, right? But you also want those, mo you know me, you also want those moments where you can have characters connecting, and there are heartfelt moments. And I actually thought this film did a good job of balancing out the character connections with all of the action. I did think there was a little bit too much happening at times. I think they traveled too much, went to too many places. You were seeing a lot of different um, sets, if you will. You were seeing a lot of different characters. It was a lot. But, yeah, I thought it did a good job of balancing action. And, you know, like I said, the scenes with Chewie 
and uh, the scene with Han, you know, the scene where they're sitting kind of on top of the cliff in the snow before they go to try to hijack the coaxium off of the train. You have those moments where you learn about characters, you learn about what motivates them. Speaking of coaxium, I have to bring this up, which is, we find out right away is sort of like a powerful hyperspace fuel, which is a super valuable thing, obviously, for people who are traveling around the galaxy. But I don't think I've seen a bigger MacGuffin in a movie in a long time. You know what a MacGuffin is, right, Evan? Yeah. Sort of, yeah, of course you do. It's For people who don't know, it's an object or device in a movie or a book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot. I don't know if I've seen a bigger one in a long time than the Coaxium. It's like the reason that they go everywhere and do everything in this movie. And it is a movie about smugglers and criminals, I get it. But literally, it's what happens everywhere. At the start of the movie, it's how they get off the shipbuilding planet that they live on. Uh, then they try and steal it for Dryden in the train scene. When they fail to do that, they get the whole, it's the whole reason they go to the mining colony on Kessel. Then they turn it over to the rebels who act like this fuel is going to be the thing that ignites the rebellion. And we know uh, not much is accomplished until Luke Skywalker and co. get on board, you know, two movies later. Hmm. So it just kind of bothered me that it just felt a little lazy, and that's kind of what kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the script. It just felt a little lazy that's like, why does the coaxium have to be the reason we go everywhere? Why does it... Why does this fuel have to be the main motivator for everyone? Well, and, and I didn't really notice that end of it, but you're right. I, I, now that you've pointed that out, I see that. But, but my criticism that I already mentioned was along the lines of them just going all over and doing all these different that, that's things. That's a Star Wars thing, though. That's yeah. what they do because they that happens in every movie because they... Yeah. They want to, you know, show how big the galaxy is, and they want to show the different ecosystems, and they want to show how these different, you know, cultures and, and citizens live on the different planets. Well, I mean, that's yeah. a Star Wars thing, though. I think you're probably right, though, having this being, you know, not the first, but in essence the first film of, I've seen, that probably doesn't help that I'm being introduced to so many characters. I'm sure A New Hope doesn't quite have, there's a little more, you know, subtle, or not subtle, but they ease you into it a little bit more. Yeah. One thing I loved about this movie is all the sort of fan service winky things uh, that happen. And Evan, you might not have picked up on these, but, you know, when he, when Chewie and Han see the Millennium Falcon for the first time, we hear the Star Wars theme sort of inch up, because that's awesome when they see... I did notice that. Yeah, and they sit in the sort of co the, the, the cockpit for the first time, and that's a scene that, we yeah. see all the time in the movies. It's, it's cool to just see how Chewie and Han first see the Millennium Falcon. Um, you know... Uh, one of the main lines in Empire Strikes Back is Lando and Han talking about the Millennium Falcon and how the ship was originally his and how he won it off him in a game of poker. Huh. We actually get to see that happen in this. Lando, the um, cheater. Uh, there's a line Han Solo says in one of the movies where he's like, when someone, when Luke calls the Millennium Falcon a piece of junk, and Han Solo's like, this made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. We actually get to see them make huh. the Tesla run in 12 parsecs. Okay. The last few scenes is them setting up the job to go um, work for Jabba the Hutt, which is where we meet Han uh, in okay. uh, A New Hope. So th there's a lot of, we see how he gets the name Solo because he doesn't have a last yep. name and he's alone. We see him getting his blaster. We see him meeting Chewie. Lando calling him Han which is something that he does all the time in the in the original uh -huh. trilogy, and everyone's like, why does Lando call him Han? It's Han. Well, and we, they directly point that yeah. out in the prequels. We also have uh, you know him joking, saying Chewbacca is too long of a name. Yeah. And then he ends up just call, starting to call him Chewie. Yeah, and... so they, you know, I think they does a good job of that. Like, some of these things can be corny if they're not executed correctly. I think this movie does a decent job of sort of naturally 
fitting them in within the context of the story. And these are things that Star Wars fans are going to get excited about, similarly to how we talked about Tomb Raider a while, while back, how they had fan service things in that movie that fans of that video game series would be like, yes, that's awesome. I think there's going to be those kind of moments in this movie as well. And one of the biggest ones, of course, is the cameo of Darth Maul. Yeah, obviously that's going to lead into, um, or at least come out of the other films. I can't really provide much context. Yeah, but... well, I'll just keep going. I just wanted to give you a chance there for a second to react. <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen the character. I think I saw the, the episode one when I was like 11. But but briefly, I, I do want to mention, you, you used the word corny. And, and as soon as you said that, it kind of struck with me. And I thought, yeah, in, a, in, a, in some ways, I think this, this movie was a little corny. I don't think it's the slickest uh, film, I, and I think right Star Wars is kind of corny in some ways, oh, yeah. right? You kind oh, of embrace that. Oh yeah, it definitely has a sort of corny feel to it. It's a corny space western, you know. It's it sort of is in a lot of ways, um, and we definitely see that. Some of the humor did not hit. Some of the humor did. I thought. I thought it was pretty funny, all in all. Really, you you thought it was funny? Well, I thought some of the the moments between like. Like I said, between Chewbacca and between Han, I thought Han's character in general was pretty funny. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought that, especially in the earlier parts of the film, I thought there was some some humor. And and having not seen Star Wars, I was I I guess I I thought maybe these are how the films are. They they have a lot of comedy trickled throughout. Yeah, there is little. I mean, the original the trilogy is kind of outdated the humor. The, yeah. the original prequel, I don't remember much humor at all. They tried to do this slapstick crap with Jar Jar Binks and it didn't work. <laughs> um, some of the humor worked. I really like the robot Lando's buddy who's like fighting yeah. for robot rights the whole time and starts a rebellion. <laughs> yeah, that was and good. That, that's kind of funny and that's a sort of real, uh, you know, connection we can make to world you know, now, whether sure. it's, you know, LGBTQ or something like that, you know, women's rights, something like that. That's a connection that we can make. I thought that was kind of funny. Some of the humor missed the mark for me, personally, but I laughed a couple times. Yeah. Um, you know, it, but yes, corny, definitely yeah. a, a part of it. And that also goes back to some of these puppet guys, you know, they don't care if it looks a little corny. Yeah. Um, quickly, we got to go back to talking about Darth Maul, who was just referred to Maul as Maul in this film. Hmm. Darth Maul, of course, appears in The Phantom Menace in, like, two scenes. That was another big reason why everyone was mad at that movie, because Darth Maul, arguably the coolest character, is hardly in it. But at the end of that movie, he is cut in two by Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, spoiler alert. Well, yeah, no. spoiler alert for <laughs> Star Wars Phantom Menace. Sorry. Uh, we're talking no, about Star Wars here. But, um, so, he did appear in the Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars animated series, so we do know that he's come back to life, but for him to show up again here... Was, was a big surprise for me. Uh, I would have liked that if you're going to have Maul in the movie, why not just put him in the movie? Why not just have him actually appear? Why do this sort of, like, cameo that just feels like you're doing a cameo for cameo's sake? I would have liked to have seen more of him because they're talking about this Crimson Dawn stuff throughout the whole movie. And ultimately, yeah, he's the boss. And that, that transitions well to one of my criticisms. I just didn't think... And maybe I got into, like this mode watching so many Marvel films, I, I'm always kind of evaluating, like, is there a really good bad guy or a really good villain? Because those always make these kind of films better, and I didn't think there was. Um, obviously, we've got uh, Dryden Voss. Uh, we see him a little bit here and there. There's a few other villains. There's kind of the theme of who's good, who's bad, but I didn't think there was a great villain, and maybe having Darth Maul or Maul in it more would have would have helped that. Is he in 4, 5, and 6, the later films? No, he's not. 
Huh. He gets killed, so we don't, and this is, uh, he doesn't appear again. So we don't even know how he's killed, because we're, again, we're led to no. believe, yeah, he, he comes back to life. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, so it's it's an interesting, I mean, it was kind of cool to see him show up again, I guess. But I just, if you're going to bring him back, I would have liked to have seen more. Um, you know, the, the movie, it was good. I, I'm not trying to, like, rip on it too much. For the most part, I enjoyed watching the movie. Um, you know, I liked how Kira sort of ended up being, like, just looking out for herself like everyone else and yeah. is arguably part of the Empire now. We don't really know what's going to happen to her. But I liked how she didn't just end up with the guy. That was a cool sort of twist at the end. Um, for the most part, I had a pretty good time watching this movie. Um, so yeah, uh, do you want to get into our final yeah. say here? You got anything else you want to say real quick? No, I mean, I think I'm ready to wrap it up. Obviously, um, for me, watching it was much different than you watching it. Uh, you obviously were able to follow uh, several references, winks, nods. I was able to gather a little bit of that throughout. Um, but all in all, um, I liked the film. I, I really kind of was forced to watch it on a standalone value. And I thought, all in all, it was pretty good. It was good, not great. Um, it did motivate me, though, to want to watch the other Star Wars films, so that's certainly saying something. I actually did think there was some comedy trickled throughout. I thought it was maybe a little funnier than you did. Uh, I was ultimately kind of thinking six and a half, but I decided to be generous, and I gave it a seven out of ten. Yeah, I mean, is it a perfect movie? Definitely not. Is it better than Rogue One? Not in my opinion. Um, so, uh, but it's an origin story. We talked about this with Deadpool 2 last week. Sometimes... Or not Devil 2, but the original Deadpool. Yeah. Sometimes you're constrained by an origin story to have to stick to certain things and add those sort of winks to an audience. But the movie was entertaining throughout, I thought. I liked some of the action sequences, specifically the train heist, and then when they're getting out of the, the mining colony at the end, and they're sort of trying to get the Falcon away from the, the huge thing in the, the universe. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it, I loved the winks, the sort of the 12-parsec, the Kessel Run, and the allusions to everything as a star wars fan that stuff got me excited um uh this guy uh eldon amrick i've never really seen him in much before but i think he does a good job sort of portraying the charm of yeah, han solo. i liked him as a character and i liked how this movie set up the han solo we know in the later ones we see why he's such a broken down yeah. untrustworthy person when we first meet him in a new hope and that's what i wanted i wanted continuity i wanted to see the chapter of han solo that i hadn't seen before um it's not a perfect movie but it's entertaining throughout and for that reason i would recommend it and i would give this seven too all right there you have it a seven all the way around for solo a star wars story Thanks for listening in on this Thursday, the 31st of May. As always, we appreciate your listening, and we want you to connect with us. Yeah, on Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter, uh, iTunes. Basically, just go to any of the social media sites out there. Search Second Day Film Podcast. Give us a like, give us a follow, interact with us, tell us what you want us to see. Um, I think we'll probably be due for another poll here, uh, either this week or next week, yeah. um, because we've kind of gotten through these two big blockbusters, so maybe we'll see something a little bit more off the beaten path. But of course, it is summer, so we've got some big movies on the way. The new Jurassic yeah. Park's coming out, Ant-Man and the Wasp is coming out, uh, we just went down at the new Mission Impossible's coming out. Yeah. So there's plenty of more big blockbusters coming, and then of course, when we get beyond that, it's on to sort of uh, the holiday season, and then Oscar season will roll around, and we'll start getting into maybe more of the more uh, smaller, critically acclaimed movies. <laughs> but plenty of good things coming yeah. away from the second day. Absolutely. And, you know, hey, we know the popcorn correspondent missed it, but uh, Sam, we, we plan to have him around uh, next time, and, and we'll have the trio back together again on the next pod. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.